and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, I have had a fun couple of weeks. I have been out interviewing some riders at their yards for the first time since the first COVID lockdown when we moved to doing nearly all of our interviews via Zoom or on the phone. And uh, I went to see Sarah Bullymore a few weeks ago and I got to pet the gorgeous Coraway, her tiny homebred, who I think was the horse that we all wanted to take home after the European Championships. So I did get to, to pat him and, and give him a bit of a fuss, which was lovely, as well as talking to Sarah. And that interview is in this week's Horse and Hound. Meanwhile, our podcast interview this week is with event rider Izzy Taylor. She managed to squeeze in talking to us during a busy autumn of international competitions and we chatted about her top horses and the event rider's winning mentality. We're competitive, you know, if we weren't competitive we wouldn't be doing the job so we always have that in us and have the dream and, and hope that we can go a bit better than maybe we should on paper. I'll also be catching up with our show jumping editor Jennifer Donald to discuss the final leg of this year's Longines Global Champions Tour. And then I'm handing over to my colleague Polly Bryan to host this week's news review. Finally, equestrian psychology coach Charlie Unwin talks about dealing with success and failure as a sports person. I think sometimes we can get so preoccupied with how we did that we sometimes forget to ask the question, how can that positive experience reinforce what I'm able to do more consistently? So zip up your boots, let's get started. I'm delighted to be joined now by our guest on today's podcast, the event rider Izzy Taylor. Izzy has been placed numerous times at five star and championships and is the reigning British Open champion. Hello, welcome to the podcast, Izzy. Hi, Pippa. How are you? Yeah, I am well, thank you. Now, I know you're squeezing us into a very busy autumn season, so thank you so much. You've had a lot of trips to Europe, but I just wanted to catch up with you and talk about some of those recent great results. Let's start with the European Championships. You were selected to go out there on monkeying around, monkey as he's known. He's also the horse who won the British Open with you earlier this season. Can you start by telling us a little about his background and how you came to ride him? Oh, he's... A fantastic horse monkey. He came to me as a four-year-old to be sold and I thought we'd buy him. He looked like a horse that we could turn around and would be attractive to sell to people and then I kept him basically and sold him sold him to my owner Mark Satori who obviously is vitally important like all our owners are um, and we've had quite some journey with him so far. And he is called monkey for a reason isn't he? Yeah, he's um, he is quite a cheeky character. Um, he at four, he wasn't named when he came to us, and at four year olds, that's that's the name we came up with. He's um, very athletic, as he demonstrates beautifully at sometimes, um, and at others more so when he was a lot younger. He can um, he can put some moves in, and he's just a very large character. Bless him. And he's only a 10-year-old, so pretty impressive to get to the Europeans this year. Particularly, he had a bit of an interrupted season because you had a broken collarbone, didn't he? So so it was impressive to get that selection call up. Yeah, I was I was very proud of him um, because he, like you say, age-wise is only 10 and has only done one four-star long was at Burnham Market last year, which in the COVID circumstances, you know, he hasn't seen a lot of real life. So to go to the European Championships to basically gain experience is, is a big, big ask for anyone. And um, 
he went out there and was just fantastic. Really, really pleased with how he went. Yeah, and ended up finishing 10th. And most impressive part of his performance, I think, was his clear inside the time on the cross country. Just tell us about that round and how he felt. Oh, he was amazing cross country. It was... um, Obviously, it was a flat track. It was very twisty. Um, we were relatively early on. Felt like you were you were at a one-day event for ten minutes, so you were constantly jumping and galloping and turning. And then there was another fence, which for him I wasn't overly looking forward to. But he just grew and grew as he went round. He yes, he he was green and inexperienced, but absolutely every step of the way was with me and looking to go between the flags, which is all you can ask for for them. Yeah, and it was, as you say, a really impressive performance on a green horse. And from you as a rider as well, to get him round so competitively. Was there ever a moment beforehand or during the round where you thought, oh, I might have to sort of accept a few time faults here and, and let this be a learning experience? And were you always <laughs> determined to have your foot down? I think I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not really up for time faults if we can help it. Um, you know, in our heads, he was, he was always going to go clear inside the time. And he absolutely you know went for it and and felt fantastic and and came out of it feeling like you know next time he'll be better again which is the most important thing you know it was a championship so you you're always wanting to you know time faults aren't allowed type of thing but he rose to the challenge which was really exciting yeah and came out well on Sunday as well I know it was annoying to have to have a fence down because he is a good jumper but actually you know he he is a younger horse and, and it was a good round yeah, he jumped a super round on Sunday. And again, you know, had I been in the gold medal position and I had a fence, I'd definitely be more upset about it. But if he's going to have a fence, which is rare for him, that was acceptable. Any good horse can have a fence and he jumped a very, very good round. So, you know, overall, I was very happy with the result with him. As you say, he's saving that clear round for the gold medal performance in the future. <laughs> <laughs> have you made plans for him for next year? Presumably he's having a holiday now. And do you know sort of when you're going to bring him in again and what you might target? Uh, we haven't got that far yet. I haven't finished my season yet. So yeah, like you said, he's on his holidays. He actually doesn't really like holidays because he's an attention seeker. So he doesn't have a particularly long break. By the time we finish at Poe, he'll be begging to come back and have some attention. So it'll no doubt be a bit of a long winter with him showing us some, some moves and stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll have a have a think and a group once once all the horses are finished and we've had a chance to make a plan for all of them and make sure they're all going to wear suits them. Yeah, definitely. And just a couple of weeks after that Europeans in Avanche in Switzerland, you were at the popular Dutch four-star long at Bukelo with a nine-year-old horse called Hartacker. He finished eighth. He was on the winning Nations Cup team there. What's what's his sort of background and story? Uh, He's um, a very different person to Monkey. He's a very shy introvert and would be horrified if he did anything wrong. And he came to me two years ago now, I think. Camilla Behrens, who's actually a local lady who I hadn't come across, bought him as a six-year-old for her daughter. And then Lou went to uni and it just was too tricky. So he ended up coming to me and went to Le Leon in his first year, which was a huge ask. And he had a 20 just through inexperience. Um, and so again, to get him to Bukolo at at nine was was a big ask and wow the crowds there I'd forgotten and I think there were more than ever and we're not used to it so it was a huge eye-opener for him 
Yeah, I was going to say for anyone who hasn't been to Bukalo, can you give us a bit of a flavour of what that event is like? It really <laughs> is special. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's impossible to describe. It's it is um, they have the Grosch factory there, and it's basically a a party on Saturday with I think they had fifty thousand people. Um, it's huge in terms of the number and the crowd and the atmosphere. Um, and they've now got their new, well, it's not new anymore, but the main arena is now permanent and on sand. So that actually gives quite a championship feel. So it's a very good experience long-term for the horses to go there and, and experience that before they do get to a championship. Yeah, that's a change since the last time I was at Bukalo when it was still on the grass. And as you say, there's just those sort of tents lining the route on cross-country day with uh, people having drinks. And, and I think the riders' parties can be can be pretty wild <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's lots of partying going on and lots of people getting very happy about being at Bukalo, whether they be riders or spectators. It has a kind of end-of-term feel. And um, yeah, it, in some some years you feel it's very tightly roped across country so for some years you feel like if you kind of touch down you could give someone a high five on your way around it's it is a really incredible feeling so um yeah i think a lot of people and a lot of riders like you say get get quite excited to be there yeah and i have to say also my favorite thing about bukalo is those little like pancakes with the icing sugar that you can eat on them <laughs> i'm i'm just showing the fact that i mostly go to bed to see what I can eat. <laughs> no i'm not really a beer drinker i just like the pancakes <laughs> <laughs> and izzy by the time this podcast comes out you'll be at poe for the final five star of the european season with two exciting rides young horses again let's hear a bit about them so you've got the gray from berner lancer tell us about him uh, Lance, who, Lance is owned by the Lancer Stud and he's just a lovely horse. He's beautiful, he's grey, he's a gentleman. I really believe will win a top, top one and I hope soon. <laughs> um, but he's, um, yeah, a very special horse and he's had a little bit of change of rider just for various, various different reasons. But his last run with me was um, at Little Downham and felt very much back to being my horse again. So excited about him, very excited about him. And then the mare, Ringwood Madras, who's owned by Sarah Van Beckel. She's new to me this year. She's only 10, so a big ask for her, but she's a very, very good cross-country horse. Um, and again, really wants to please you. So yeah, it should be an exciting week for the pair of them. Yeah, definitely. And I was going to ask about, about Von Bernard Lance's sort of journey to get there in terms of the fact that he went to the five star at Bicton and, and you pulled mm -hmm. him up after after a 20 and then went to Little Downham and, as you say, had a win. How do you sort of, uh, you know, go to Bicton, deal with that disappointment and then make a plan to sort of turn that round and get him to another big event at the end of the year? So Bicton was a little bit of a gamble because, like you said, I'd broken my collarbone earlier in the year and missed obviously I think I missed six weeks in the end which felt like a very long time and um, for him was a long time because he's a very personal horse and he likes to be ridden by me and and work on that relationship so I knew get, uh, going to Bicton was going to be a gamble and it didn't pay off in terms of he didn't go we didn't go and we didn't go clear but he did a great dressage test and cross-country was very, very good at various points and then did make a green mistake. So we jumped a few more fences and pulled him up. So we had a, a good experience and hopefully set him up for Poe. And the difficulty then is 
for me with them when you reroute them is the fitness. You can't keep them up for you know, however long that would be fitness-wise. So it's being brave enough to let them come down, back off them, and then pick them back up and get the timing right for for Poe. Mm. And that's got to be quite a difficult thing to juggle as well when you're so busy and off at other events. And how do you kind of keep everything on the road with the, with, with the number of horses you have and the team at home when you're also away quite a lot? Yeah, you know, that's very much part of my job owners come to me sometimes new owners and say oh you know we're just worried you know how does it work he's got a lot of horses and my answer is always to them it's my job and my job is to do the best I can with each individual horse so we're very careful with them we have their plans I'm very lucky with the support team I have at home which is huge you know none of us could do it without them and again looking at each horse as an individual those two we've got at Poe are incredibly different horses um just physically without even going into anything else Lance is a relatively tall horse but he's very short across the ground so from his nose to his tail there's there's not a massive amount of room Maddie is a big lady she's she's tall and she's long and there's a lot of her and she's only 10 so she's never had the five star fitness in her so you have to look at so many different things and that's where the horses you know I find them so exciting because every day is different and you're always thinking and you're always learning yeah and as a rider you must have to obviously as you say it is your job as a professional rider but when you go to an event like Poe and you're riding two horses that are physically and mentally so different you must have to have you have yourself in the right kind of headspace to ride each of those horses as well yeah definitely that's all part of um you know, our preparation and our warm up is kind of remembering, if you like, the horse you sat on and what it likes, what it doesn't like, even with the warm up, what they like, what they can take, if they tend to land right, or just hundreds and hundreds of little things that you store in your, your memory. And you just need to make sure you give them a little shake before you get on the horse and you've done everything ready, right and ready for them. Yeah. And going to pair with those two horses, both quite young, both quite inexperienced, do you set yourself sort of a, a target for the result or the performance you want from each horse? Yeah, very much so. There's no point, um, you know, setting it, I want to finish first or seventh or ninth or whatever with, because the only person I can affect is myself. So I've got to go and do the best I can do on them and produce the best results for them and give them the best opportunity to be the best they can be. And if that happens to be, hopefully, um, the best on the day, better than everyone else, then you're the winner. And that's, you know, ultimately that's the aim. Yes, I'm, sometimes you can't go and win. You know you're not, gonna, you're not able to, but you can dream about it. And sometimes you can get lucky and pull it off on one that's a bit green or a bit not quite ready. And, and that's fantastic as well yeah so it's more about kind of setting an aim for the performance of that horse and then you just see where that measures up against everybody else yeah um obviously we know who's going we know we're not just talking about Poe but any event you know who you're competing against you know how your horse has been going against other horses you know how your horse has been going at home so you will quietly think all right hopefully I could all things being well, finish in the top three or finish first or, God, I have to be on a real, really good day to finish in the top five at this event. Um, and we're competitive, you know, if we weren't competitive, we wouldn't be doing the job. So 
we always have that in us and have the dream and and hope that we can go a bit better than maybe we should on paper. And looking at Poe, you've been there and ridden there a few times and had some good placings. Do you have some some good memories of riding there in the past? Yeah, it's again, it's a a different, they're all so different, the events. It's a very different five-star feel to the others that I've been to. It has a fantastic end of season feel in terms of, you know, like you've said, we are very busy and this time of year we're away so much and it's difficult for everyone just keeping up the fitness, personal fitness levels and making sure you're getting enough sleep in and everything like that because you were just on the road flat out and not get, getting getting poorly, which is always what happens towards the end of the year. Um, especially with the kids going back to school, bringing in nice bugs. Um, so yeah, Poe has a, has a lovely feel to it because it's the end and we get to have a few weeks quiet or different, which is quite exciting. So it's, yeah, it has lots of good memories, um, has bad memories too. It's a very long drive when you go back. <laughs> um, but if the weather's good, it's a very, very nice event as well for the owners, which is, you know, obviously very important. And I think for the owners, it's it's fun because they can get a lot closer and feel a lot more involved than they can at some other of the five-star events. So I think they appreciate that side of it as well. You know, it's like everything. There's there's plus points and there's different points to it. Um, but it's it's a great event to go to. And again, Pippa, the food's very good there. Absolutely. I was going to give a, a food tip for Per as well, just because, you know, that's what's that's your, what's what I your do. Food <laughs> I think fish is very good to eat at Poe. There's a lot of good fish restaurants um, in yeah. in Poe. Yeah. And actually a lot of yeah. it's a lovely town. One year I went there and my parents came as well and we went a couple of days early before the event and did some walking in the Pyrenees. So that's a, a trip I recommend if anybody has time. <laughs> <laughs> Getting some calories out before you put them back in. Yeah, exactly. Going to have a nice long walk and then eat lots of fish in the evenings. That's my recommendation for Poe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the food very, is very good. Um, and again, the main arena has a good feel to it. It's different again. It's another sand arena, which is lovely. They've got the surface. They know how to use the surfaces over here. They use the sand and they just get it very wet. And the wetter it is, the better. So that's that's a nice thing to come to, knowing that you're going to have a good surface for your dressage and then a good surface to jump off normally a very big and technical track on Sunday the show jumping here no for sure and it's often an event where you get some late sun as well they seem to get a bit more autumn sunshine than we get here at that time of year this time yeah so so if we don't get the sun Pippa now it's your fault I know I'm sorry just blame it on me if you have a horrible wet week <laughs> and Izzy final question you mentioned uh, kids going to school coming back with bugs you're a mother as well two children is that right yeah, two children, um, Lily and Fred, who are 11 and 12, both at secondary school, which is mad. Um, and yeah, they are amazing. I am so grateful for how they are and very, very proud of them because they are very good to me. I am away a huge amount and it took a little bit of time to get their heads around the fact that I was doing a job that was very different to what their friends parents did or do um and yes it is tough and I'm away for half term which is always the way um but you know it's fantastic I'm very very lucky to have two children they help me a lot in terms of they're very good if I come back they'll 
they're very cute and will help cook supper and Lily's 12 going on about 17 bossing us all around and doing the washing and this that and the other and Fred's again different completely very relaxed boy takes things very easy needs a bit of a shake sometimes but <laughs> again is is very helpful they yeah they are absolutely fantastic and they make a huge difference when you come back from a a long tough weekend and you know they're they're there and they're moaning about this that and the other and we've got to go and get food for home economics which they seem to have on a monday which is a real treat so <laughs> you're back and doing normal things fairly sharpish with them oh well i hope they make you nice things to eat in home economics anyway <laughs> <laughs> yes we're very lucky that lily's very into her baking and actually um is a fantastic cake maker so looking forward to getting to the end of poe and being able to eat all our cakes and enjoy it without feeling guilty and having to go on a run 10 minutes later <laughs> oh well best of luck for poe izzy and thank you so much for, for squeezing in a quick chat with us it's been good to catch up on the end of your season no thank you very much for having me So I'm joined now by my colleague Jennifer Donald, Horse and Hounds show jumping editor. Jen, last week you were covering the final leg of the Longines Global Champions Tour in Samarin. I'm not sure I even know what country that's in. Could you fill us in? <laughs> uh, well, that is Slovakia. Um, it's a new venue and actually it's it looks absolutely fantastic. It's, uh, it's an Olympic training venue that they've built. And uh, so this is a new venue for the GCT to head to as well. And it was a fantastic show. It was brilliant it was billed as sort of the final showdown between Peter Fredrickson and and Ben Mayer to see who was going to win the final overall rankings over the whole season um, and in the end both faulted in the Grand Prix so it w didn't quite reach, reach that thrilling conclusion that we were all hoping for but Peter Fredrickson won and um, Ben Mayer ended up finishing fourth in the end in the overall standings but what a year he's had I mean it's just for one rider to achieve so much at the Olympics, he got team gold and individual silver, and then he went on to win a medal at the Europeans as well. So to have that consistency through the whole year is such an amazing achievement. So um, huge hats off to Pedro Fredrickson. And uh, I think the, if, if you can see it on um, the GCT channels, the, the champagne podium presentation was just amazing. He got absolutely drenched. I have never seen a rider absolutely waterfalls of champagne pouring off his hat or his head it was just a, <laughs> it was a brilliant moment so I enjoyed that that feels like a waste of champagne but, well uh... <laughs> I, think, I think he might have drunk a bit as it went down his face maybe but <laughs> <laughs> I hope so well Pedder is an amazing horseman he's evented to Olympic level as well so a really great all-round rider and as you say he's had an incredible year and I was lucky That's enough it. to speak to him yeah a couple of times at, at the Olympics was he jumping all in this week Jen or a different horse he was Alan we all love Alan uh, I think one of our favorite show jumpers in the office anyway and uh, very popular all in um yeah his, he's had two big Grand Prix wins over the season both with catch me not so um he brought all in back for this um competition and uh, yeah so lovely to see him back he's such a lovely horse and we yeah we all love Alan Okay, so it wasn't quite Ben Mayer and Explosions weekend, but did we have other British riders on form there in Samarin? 
We certainly did. Well, Ben actually won uh, one of the classes earlier in the week. He was jumping for the London Knights in the GCL competition as well. And he was the individual winner of one of those qualifying rounds. So he did have one great win with Explosion. He was jumping absolutely out of his skin. He looked absolutely phenomenal. So um, that was good to see. He just ended up having a few faults in the Grand Prix. But there was also wins for Emily Moffat. She did a great round. Um, and then unusually, the two-star classes, um, riders were able to jump in both. Usually they have to jump either in the five-star or the two-star. So um, riders were busy this week. And there was a big two-star Grand Prix win for Dara Kenny, actually, for Ireland. He's got a lovely horse with Chic Chic, he's called. Um, they look a great combination. Um, Jody Hall-McAteer had a two-star win as well. She was in great form in a speed class there. Um, and then a special mention must go to, uh, we've got a 40-year-old British rider called Isabella Beecroft Luckett, who's actually daughter of Jeff Luckett. People might remember him. And she was second in the Prince Philip Cup at Horse of the Year show two weeks ago and then went jetted off down to Slovakia for the GC finals and uh, won two classes there so she had a great show so that was a, a good little one to watch she's um, she was in flying form as well Wow, that's really something to be riding in the Prince Philip Cup Mounted Games and then be jumping in a two-star yeah. class. <laughs> <laughs> she said it's uh, the, when she gets, she jumps horses in the show jumping classes and ponies, obviously, for the Prince Philip Cup. So, yeah, it was, it's quite a big difference going from one speedy little pony to the big horses and back again. So, yeah, she did really well. Yeah, she's obviously got good adaptability. Um, <laughs> and that Grand Prix that uh, was potentially going to be a head-to-head between Pedder and Ben but didn't quite pan out like that, who actually won it? So Swedish Whitewash, the Sweden team this year, their riders are just, I mean, they're always in great form, but this year it's just been a vintage one for all of them. And it was Henrik von Eckermann who actually took the win on King Edward, who's another one we all love um, and was the, one of the horses that did so well at the Olympics as well. So um, it was a thrilling five-way jump off for top honours in that Grand Prix on Saturday night. Um, really up to height, massive one meter 60 fences. And um, it was a great jump off and he was last to go won it and oh the delight he was punching the air he was patting his horse and you know he was one of these riders he always pays credit to his horse and yeah he said horses like King Edward don't come along very often so he's he was absolutely delighted and then so winning that Grand Prix as well he qualifies for the Super Grand Prix which is at Prague um, next month and he was he quoted he was so good when he was talking about him saying you know it's one of these horses you can go in confident that he's going to win and so I think he's going to be a, one of the big names to watch in the Super Grand Prix next month. Mm. And he was the horse who at the Olympics was the only horse who didn't have a fence down all week, wasn't he? And I know that Henrik said in the in the press conference that his fiance Janneke Sprunger jumped the horse to start with, and then um, and then and then when she had their son, he was able to take over the reins. So uh, things it. working out pretty good for him there. <laughs> and he, I mean, there was he's one of the other ones that he, he jumps in barefoot without shoes on. Um, and there was actually another horse in the. Grand Prix um, jump off as well for Peter DeVos from Belgium, who's only just um, been riding this mare called Tupi de la Roque uh, for two weeks and hadn't meant to jump her in the Grand Prix. He brought her in for the 1m45 classes and ended up jumping her in the Grand Prix and finished fourth. They just had such an unlucky final fence in the, in the jump off. But it's such an achievement to have only sat on the horse for a handful of classes and to go into the biggest Grand Prix in the world and jump so well she's barefoot as well so it's it's quite a recurring theme at the moment it's uh yeah this seems to be a growing trend especially at the top level for these horses without shoes on
Interesting. Well, Jen, although this was the final leg of the GCT, it's not actually the end of the GCT for this year, slightly <laughs> confusingly. You mentioned the Super Grand Prix, if that's what it's called in Prague. Just fill us in on that competition. So next month, yeah, all the all the riders, all the teams head to Prague for the GC Prague playoffs, they're called. And so you've got all the GCL teams heading for their Super Cup. It's a sort of knockout competition. It's really good fun going through to the final stages. Um, so all the teams will be trying to get get their heads in front for that one. Um, and then there's also the Super Grand Prix, which is for all the winners of the Grand Prix throughout the season. Um, they then jump in this you know, phenomenal class, massive prize money. It's it's the class to win. So uh, we've got people like Ben Mayer, John Whitaker is going to be there. There's going to be some great names. And it's, yeah, if people can tune in, it's a great competition to watch. Good. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for joining us today and telling us all about that exciting weekend of GCT action. And we look forward to hearing from you more later in the year. Maybe we'll get you on to hear to talk about Prague as well. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you. Hello, I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound, and I'm taking over the reins of the news section this week while Pippa is off. It's certainly been a busy week of news, and we will be discussing a couple of the biggest stories that have emerged this week. I'm joined by two members of our lovely news team. We have news editor Eleanor Jones. Hi, Eleanor. How's your week been? Yeah, it's all been a bit, um, not quite sure where I am, really. We had a massive thick frost uh, the other day, which made me put all my layers on. And now it's like 17 degrees today and I'm making myself put my clipped horse out naked because I'm like, it's warm, it's warm. And yeah, <laughs> I have no idea where we are. <laughs> the changing of the seasons, always the way. <laughs> and we also have Lucy Elder, who is our senior news writer. Hi, Lucy. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Polly. I It's been a couple of weeks since I've been on the podcast, actually. And I've been, in that time, I've been racing. And this weekend, I had a completely non-horsey weekend and I went to see James Bond, which was excellent. So, oh, uh, yeah. I've been to see it as well. And uh, yeah, I hope you'll agree. I think it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I think it was the best one yet. But um, Definitely. I won't give away any spoilers for anyone that hasn't. But, uh, was... Highly recommend a trip to the cinema. Yeah. So we received some unexpected news from the world of dressage at the start of this week, which is that Charlotte Dujardin's Olympic and European medalist Geo, also known as Pumpkin, has been sold. Now, this news will have probably come as a shock to many people who perhaps were looking forward to seeing Charlotte and Pumpkin winning more medals in the future, maybe possibly even going to another Olympic Games together. However, the great news is that Pumpkin has been sold to a very talented young British rider, Annabella Pidgeley. And I think it's going to be really exciting to see that new partnership grow. Annabella has had lots of success riding for Britain on pony and junior teams. She made history actually earlier this year by winning two individual silver medals at the Junior European Championships on Sultan de Palou, uh, the first British junior rider to achieve that. And she is definitely a rider to watch out for in the future. She's only 16. She's still eligible for juniors next season. It's going to be very exciting to see what she and Pumpkin can achieve together. Back over to Lucy now. You've been reporting on some of the rule proposals ahead of the FEI General Assembly in November. And it looks as though there have been some changes, especially in eventing. Is that right? That has, Polly. Um, and to give a bit of background on this, because it is quite confusing the way 
the rules revision process happens. Um, but once you get your head around it, then it starts to make a lot more sense. So if we go back to the summer, this is when the first draft of uh, rule changes and proposals for next year come out. And I wrote quite a bit about those back in the summertime. Um, what happens then is national federations and stakeholders have seven weeks to give their thoughts, their feedback back to the FEI. Um, around that time is where we start to see a sort of a bit of a flavour really about what might be in store for next year or the coming years in sport and what sort of major changes we might see. So we've had all that. We've all the feedback's been given back and what we're seeing now is this second and final draft of rule proposals which then go to the FEI General Assembly in November and uh, they're voted on and uh, there's sometimes a few tweaks at that stage as well and then we see we get a real clear picture of what is happening in the disciplines in uh, from the start of January onwards. Yeah, certainly an, an interesting period seeing how these rule proposals develop and change and uh, some are some are thrown out at this stage and, and some are sort of kept on and tweaked, as you say, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. So um, for me, it's as interesting about what has been deferred from that first set of rules as to what is coming in. Mm. And so you mentioned venting rules there. So back earlier in the summer, I was writing about... Um, it's been a hot topic in general, activating frantible devices and the 11 penalties around that. So we saw a bit of a proposal um, as to whether people should be given 11 penalties for just breaking the device without the dimensions of the fence changing. And that has resulted in quite a lot of feedback. And that is now off the table for this coming season. There's going to be a lot more discussion around that, I think. And there was also a proposal regarding the return to play rules for horses who've had quite a long time off from international competition, uh, okay. which centered around some data from equity ratings, um, which saw that there was quite a, an increased risk really for horses uh, returning after being off for 18 months or more at certain levels. Um, so there was a proposal in there in the early draft around um, getting another qualification at a level below. But that, again, has been sort of Paul's button to be impressed on that, if you mm. like, um, for a bit more discussion around that for next year. But there are a lot of rule changes. Um, there's, I'm not exaggerating when I say there's hundreds of documents, uh, hundreds of pages of these online. Wow. And I will add a link into the story because obviously I can't go into all of those in detail. Otherwise, I would have filled the whole magazine, I think, this week and <laughs> probably nobody wants all that. Um, but I will add a link in there because they're not the easiest things to find online. But they really are worth reading if you're competing at international level or under FEI rules. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear. And, and as you say, it is as interesting to um, to see which rules um, will not be coming in uh, that have been discussed as the ones that will be coming in or might be coming in. Um, there's also been a couple of rules being discussed in dressage and one in particular about the use of white substance around horses' mouths, isn't there? There has. I thought this was interesting back in the summer as well when I saw it because I, I personally have, I've, I haven't heard of this happening before, but, you know, there will be reasons why things like this are brought in um it sparked quite a lot of discussion actually mm. over the summer from this appearing in in the first draft and it really is it's a question of where to draw the line between uh treating and cheating for want of a better yeah. phrase um in terms of some of the national federations pointed out that you know a horse given a, a polo mint or um a sugar cube or something can result in foaming mm. uh what what that isn't what the fei is trying to 
trying to ban here, what we're trying to address here, what they're trying to address is uh, white substances being used to imitate foaming at the mouth and that could potentially cover up lip injuries. So the latest rule change has kind of clarified that. Um, so it says that it's um, strictly forbidden to use any type of white substance, sort of like marshmallow fluff uh, yeah. or shaving cream, um, which could, you know, imitate foaming or and that would be considered cheating and against horse welfare as it could hide lip injuries. But again, do have a good read of that because it is quite interesting and I'll be I'll be interested to hear sort of people's thoughts on that going forward and uh, yeah, see where we are with it after the General Assembly if that's one of the rules that is going to be coming in for next year. Yeah, definitely. And so when will we know which of the rules that are under discussion will come in? So this final draft, the second draft, is a really good indicator of which ones will be coming in. But we won't know for definite until the General Assembly, which is when there's a bit more discussion takes place and the voting. Um, so that is happening in Belgium between 14th and 17th of November, um, at which point the rules are going to be uh, rubber stamped, if you like. And um, mm. we get a real, a real clear indication of uh, a final a final decision really on what's what's happening for next year. Yeah, and we will, of course, be bringing you all of the news from the General Assembly um, and, yeah, rule changes that will be coming in for next year. Elle, we will move over to you now. Um, we have had a bit of sad news concerning the Voltaire Design Liverpool International Horse Show, haven't we? Yeah, more unexpected news. Um, I don't think any of us saw this coming, but the organisers uh, of the Liverpool International Horse Show have announced this week that they're going to have to cancel uh, the event that should have run from New Year's Eve to the 3rd of January. Very, very sad. Why? So why have the organisers taken that decision? Well, they, they said because, as we all know, the, the situation with the coronavirus is changing all the time, but they've specifically cited recent announcements made both by the government and the Liverpool Health Protection Board, which is um, it oversees all the, the city's responses to the pandemic. And they've just said that as organisers, the risk with uh, staging an indoor event uh, of that type at that time um, with, you know, looking at the risk of to public spectators, partners, suppliers, riders, everyone, they just say the risk is too high. Uh, they've said they're absolutely devastated and, and they just hope that all their supporters understand the reasons why they've had to cancel. Gosh, it's such a difficult decision and I really feel for, well, all event organisers in all walks of life at the moment and over the last 18 months or so. Um, certainly very, very sad to hear that Liverpool won't be going ahead over the Christmas period. Eleanor, what's the latest with the London International Hall Show? I, I imagine a lot of people will be will be wanting to know whether whether that's still happening. Yeah, so we spoke to the organisers of the London International, formerly known as Olympia, but obviously happening at the new venue of the XL this year. And show director Simon Brooks-Ward has told us that although they're very sorry to hear that the Liverpool International has had to cancel, they want to confirm that they are full steam ahead, 100% still on track, which is brilliant news. Well, that is great news and it's going to be really exciting to have some top sport for us to enjoy over Christmas, even though, of course, we will sadly very much miss Liverpool. Well, Lucy and Eleanor, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about this week's news stories. Now we're going over to performance psychologist and mental coach Charlie Unwin. Charlie works across sport, business and the military and helps riders to optimise their performance from the inside out in training and in competition. He's passionate about working with equestrians because the horse's performance is an extension of the riders. His clients won an incredible four gold medals at the recent Olympics in Tokyo, as well as three silvers and one bronze. 
Over to you, Charlie. Hello and welcome to this episode where we're going to be talking about dealing with success and failure. Perhaps one of my favourite quotes of all time comes from Aldous Huxley, who said, experience isn't what happens to us, it's what we do with what happens to us. This, I think, is really powerful in all sports, let alone equestrian sports. The idea that uh, do we get better just through spending time in the saddle? Or actually, do we get better as a function of how we make sense of the time that we spend in the saddle? And this is the whole philosophy or principle behind dealing with our own experiences in a way that makes us better. That perhaps is an important starting point, that every experience is there to make us better. I think sometimes we can get so preoccupied with how we did that we sometimes forget to ask the question, how could we be better? Or how can that positive experience reinforce what I'm able to do more consistently in the future? And dealing with success and failure therefore becomes about a few things. I think how we deal with our emotions is definitely one of them because the way that we feel when we've just come out of the arena and we've done the best round of our life or we've had the worst experience of our life, of course, how we feel is going to affect how we think and how we're able to process that situation, that experience. Um, but nonetheless, it's important because however we end up processing it is going to affect how we then go into that uh, the next time. And I think there's something here about being able to ask the right questions. And I think people, it's very easy to overcomplicate the idea of dealing with or, or analysing our own performance. Whereas really, I think it boils down to a number of questions which are fairly consistent every time we compete. Not least, the simple question, did I do what I set out to do? That question is quite loaded in itself because... When I ask riders, before you kind of analyse what happened, what went wrong, what went well, what were you trying to do? A lot of riders won't be able to articulate that particularly clearly. And the reason being is because very often any goals that they had going into the arena have almost been masked by the feeling of what actually happens whether it was rolling the last pole and dropping a place, or even having a really positive experience and doing really well. There's a real mental discipline to being able to go back to, well, what was I trying to do in the first place? What were my goals? And how well did I accomplish those things, those processes, um, those things that I was committed to going in? So I think... In terms of making the most of our experience, there's something here about joining up our goals with our interpretation of what happens. It's got to be a joined up experience. Now, we mentioned emotions there, and I'm sure you will all appreciate that emotions are the first thing to be able to sort of mask that join up of these dots, uh, joining up the goals with, uh, with the actual experience. And the reason being that certainly when something bad happens, we tend to sort of become uh, overcome by emotions. It could be guilt, it could be frustration, it could be anger. These are very powerful emotions. 
and they directly influence the way that we're able to think about a certain situation. So how do we deal with these emotions up front such that we can actually think clearly in the first place? Well, there are a couple of schools of thoughts of this. Firstly, sometimes it helps just to let the emotions subside before we try to analyse or think too much about what happens. And this was very much the philosophy of Sir Clive Woodward when he worked with the England rugby team when they won in 2003. The idea that if the team came off the pitch and they've had a great performance, that's almost when you should be analysing, you know, sitting down on a table next morning, uh, giving feedback, uh, working things out because you're in a positive state of mind and therefore you're reinforcing things that you did well. When perhaps you've had a bad experience or a negative experience and you're feeling dejected, uh, it can be very uh, damaging to, to try to analyse that too much. Uh, you can end up reinforcing mistakes or things that went badly. So sometimes it's worth saying, you know what, I am going to think about this. I am going to analyse this, but I'm going to do it in 24 hours. And when I do it, I've got a few headings that I want to think about um, and reflect on. So I think just working sensibly with our emotions can be good. Of course, you know, if you're an event rider and you've had a bad dressage test and before you know it, you've got to get out onto the cross-country course, it can be easier said than done. And that's where I think uh, another tactic can work quite well. And it's a tactic I call left page, right page. And the idea is that uh, you have this performance book, which I'd encourage every rider to have. You have this performance journal where you write down notes, write down notes from your training, from your competition. On the left-hand side, you write down, uh, what am I trying to achieve? So it might be before a training event or a competition. This is your feed forward. So this is where you write your goals and they could be really simple. Uh, I want to ride an accurate test by getting into every corner, staying straight um, and having really clean, sharp transitions, something like that. Make it as specific as you can. You don't want to be able to kind of wiggle your way out uh, of any of this. You want to make it so specific that you either did it or you didn't. Um, Breathing, for example, I want to stay relaxed from beginning to end. That in itself is a good goal that you can control, but you just have to focus on it. So that's your left-hand page. That's your feed forward because it, it's your intent. Your right-hand page of the book always links up to what's on the left-hand page. So if you said you wanted to ride inaccurate tests and you were going to get into every corner and have sharp transitions, then did you do that? So your right-hand page is an accurate analysis based on what you said you were going to do. Now, the reason that that's so valuable to have written down is because it forces you to join the dots. And that's what your brain likes to do. If you've had a bad experience, but you realize that actually you didn't focus on what you gave yourself to focus on, Yes, it's annoying, but at least you can understand that experience and at least it gives you something to work on positively for next time. So it may not take away the neg negative feeling that you get, but it does at least help you to channel it towards something that you can control rather than what we call externalizing it, which is focusing on 
uh, excuses or all the things that you couldn't control or that you wished had been different, like a different judge or different weather or maybe even a different horse. So being able to internalize, take responsibility for the things that you can control is an absolutely essential part of, of being able to deal with with success and failure. And the final thing that I would say is that we've called this dealing with success and failure. It's very easy to focus on failure and how we how we manage ourselves through difficult times. But dealing with success can be just as challenging. And sometimes people don't give themselves permission to recognize the things that they've done well. This is absolutely essential to your advancements because it's the things that you want do well that you want to repeat in the future. So we absolutely have to have probably about five things that we've progressed or done well for every one or two things that didn't go so well. Because at the end of the day, it's building up that bank of things that we're good at that makes us a good rider in the first place. So if we don't give them time, if we don't give them thought, if we don't reflect on them, if we don't relive them in our minds, how can we possibly recreate the consistency of those good things? So I think there's something about giving ourselves permission to do that as well. So hopefully that gives you a few ideas on dealing with success and failure. Thank you, Charlie. Next week, Charlie will finish off his podcast mini-series by talking about the psychology of coaching. Our interview will be the top British dressage rider, Hayley Watson-Greaves, who recently made a winning return to international dressage following the birth of her first child. We'll also be starting a new advice series with trainer Jason Webb. He's been on the podcast before, you'll remember, and this time he'll be looking at starting young horses. Thank you for listening to this week's Horse and Hound podcast. See you next week. The Horse and Ham podcast is a Media Cage production.